proper podcast tends to begin with a funny joke or story. But this ain't no proper podcast. This is Red Pages Podcast. everybody it is november 12th 2014 and this is episode 35 35 i I think that's right of uh red pages podcast i'm justin i'm gord and i'm paul this week we have a special guest with us special guest who are you uh my name is greg uh greg kasavin from supergiant how's it going Pretty good. How about you? What is what is up with you? Oh, not, everything all good? Not too much. Yeah, everything everything is all right. Uh, it's been months now since uh, we released a game earlier this year, though it feels more recent than that, and we're just finally starting to get back into the swing of things. So, yeah, it's all good. Cool. Well, gentlemen, uh, as, as begins every uh, segment of our first segment... Let's talk about the haps. What have you guys been doing over the past week or so? Do I have a volunteer to start this week, or shall I start? Three, two, one. <laughs> okay, fine, I'll start. So this week, uh, this week I actually was at a convention. I was at Columbus, uh, K-O-L-Umbus, for the Kingdom of Loathing. Um, it was in Columbus, Ohio, appropriately enough. Uh, it was basically just a bunch of people that got together and played board games the entire time, and... Uh, a nerf war that went on for literally days. It was a lot of fun. But uh, by going to this convention, I did not go to the other big convention this week, which was BlizzCon. Uh, I decided to opt for uh, the smaller, more affordable games-related uh, particular uh, convention. Um, the thing that I saw at this, which I believe that both Gord and Paul, you both have seen. Greg, I don't know if you've seen, is uh, a video called Too Many Cooks. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> which I want to, uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes just in case one of our listeners somehow has not uh, seen this because it's sort of the best thing. Um... If you, yeah, I know, Gord, you didn't like it. Uh, I, Gord, how familiar are you with 80s sitcom openings? I've seen a couple, I guess. Okay. I feel like the more of them you're familiar with, the funnier you think this is. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the other news for me this week is that my motherboard finally gave out, despite being brand new. So I guess finally is the wrong word there. My motherboard instantly gave out. Uh, so I spent all of today rebuilding my computer from scratch. Um, it's always fun. Paul, yeah. Paul, what have you What have you been up to? Um, nothing special. I think I spent... I. I Somehow got yesterday off for reasons that don't really make any sense to me, but I ended up spending the entirety of it in bed being sick because that's just how things work out. That's the best day off. Yeah, right? On the bright side, I do have the rest of the week off anyways, so it was kind of a short work week for me. Cool. Yep. Um, Gord, what about you? Uh, Let's see. We're doing books now, right? In in the half Yes. Oh, yeah, right. I, you know, I said that before we started, guys, we're doing books in this first segment <laughs> now, and then I just didn't talk about what I read. So I'll talk about it after everyone else has gone in the, the last place of shame that I will give myself. 
couple of a couple of super cool things happening in space uh, or, or about oh, space. Yeah. We have uh, we've landed a probe on a comet. And we are uh, gathering some information on that, and that is super cool. That was the uh, the ESA, which I'm guessing stands for the uh, European Space Association. Yes, cool. And uh, Google. So they harpooned it, right? Wasn't that they like shot a harpoon at the at the comet and then just latched on? Is that what they did? If they did, I really hope it, we're uh, changing the name of the comet to Moby Dick. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I I want to imagine that the way this probe works is it sails out in a little whaling boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why the probe's name was Ahab, right? Yeah. Um, also, Google is leasing some old NASA hangars for uh, some billions of dollars for the next sixty years or something ridiculous like that. And they're using this to uh, experiment with and test out. Uh, robotics, aviation equipment, and space ships, uh, space space travel tools and devices, and uh, that is super cool. And if anyone is going to get us into space at last, it's probably going to be Google. Oh, I was going to say it would have been NASA like 60 years ago. Okay, yeah, for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. So, this, so what you're telling me is that when the Terminator emerges, <laughs> it will emerge from one of these old NASA hangers. No, from space. It'll turn out that the, mm. it'll turn out that the moon was just a giant robot egg. No, that's no moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been uh, yeah. I've been reading a whole bunch of Marvel comics. I got thinking about the uh, the, the new uh, the new Marvel movies uh, got me thinking about uh, the House of M and Civil War, which are uh, super, super cool. And uh, probably if you're going to read any uh, any mainstream popular comic storyline, it would be uh, House of M and then Civil War. I think that's the order that I'd place them. House of M. House of M is great. Uh, they brought in Brian Michael Bendis to basically reshape the way that everything in... Uh, the Marvel hero universe worked uh, to make it interesting again. And uh, I think he did marvelously. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what I've been reading. Civil War uh, is definitely a series that takes place post 9-11. And there are references to that. And uh, there's this event. Hmm? Is that the one that Captain America dies in? Uh, not yet. I vaguely remember that because I saw it on the Colbert Report. Ah, uh, might be a little later though. Uh, but okay. yeah, it's uh, it's brother against brother, and there's this inciting incident that uh, makes everyone scream terrorism and uh, force everyone to uh, be documented and registered. Everyone with uh, superpowers, anyways, and put on the uh, the government payroll. Uh, and there are they tried to set it out with two opposing and equal sides so that listeners could uh, um, cheer on one side or the other. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the pro-registration side is just terrifying and awful. <laughs> and uh, huh. I don't know. Like, oh, just uh, these people don't register, so we're going to detain them indefinitely forever in this terrible, uh, awful, negative universe uh, without giving them access to lawyers or 
a trial or uh, anything. Is this is this uh, is this terrible negative universe called Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> it is in fact in a in a parallel dimension, so that it's not within the United States, and I'm sure it is uh, in reference to that. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Anything else, or, or is that all for you? Um, I guess that's it. Just some massive universe-changing uh, storylines for Marvel. <laughs> well, you know, universe-changing. Uh, haven't they, They've probably <laughs> been retconned out of existence already by now. That was like five years ago, right? Mm. Every one of those characters has died and come back to life and forgotten because <laughs> the universe got reset. Yeah, yeah probably. Mm. Uh, Greg, what have you been up to? Uh, What am I doing? As far as reading stuff, I... I uh, don't read enough, but I'm I'm rereading Lord of the Rings right now for some reason. Reading it to my daughter, who's like mm-hmm. old enough uh, to understand some of it. Um, so that's the main. Like I I haven't read those books since college or something. I actually never read all of them. I only read the first one, um, and didn't wasn't like even that big on it at the time, but it's interesting now to go back to having, you know, obviously having like seen all the movies and that sort of thing. Like I didn't even realize how, uh, very, very different it is, um, from, from the movies, which I, you know, which I liked a lot at the time. They're kind of feel kind of played out by now, but, um, so that's been, that's been cool. I don't, uh, getting back in touch with some of the kind of classic fantasy stories that I liked as a kid and stuff like that. Um, and uh, other than that, they're, yeah, catching up on a lot of games and stuff. Uh, and uh, work-wise, we're just kind of lying low right now, which we're lucky to be able to do. Um, it's just kind of figuring out our, our next moves, uh, as it were, um, which, uh, which is always, which is always fun and interesting. Um, and also going to parent teacher conferences, which is surreal <laughs> as working for one of the nice things about being a small studio is we can be pretty fl- flexible with our, with our work hours. So I was working from home today so that I could, whatever, go to a, my daughter's in, uh, uh, it's in fourth grade now, which is wild to me. Cause I, you know, it's at that, I, like, I remember being in fourth grade. I remember the video games I was playing when I was in fourth grade and whatever. Um, <laughs> so having to change gears between game development and like being a parent is, is like always a sort of a surreal experience, but that's, uh, that's the way of it. You, one of you, uh, referenced uh, BlizzCon, but I, I enjoyed watching, I watched a lot of that um, over the weekend as well. I've been really, really into Hearthstone since May or something like that. So I was, I wanted to see the big uh, world championship that they had for that and so forth. Yeah, I know Paul watched that yeah. too. We could probably we'll probably talk a lot okay. about that in the uh, in the game yeah, segment. Yeah. I bet, given given how much everybody <laughs> seems to love Hearthstone. <laughs> um, I guess I guess I'll, I'll I'll say what I read now. Not that uh, everybody else has had a chance. Um, so I read The Crucible this oh, yeah. uh, this week because I was sitting uh, in uh, a classroom 
with nothing to do while many children worked on drawing posters of uh, what it would look like if they had to make advertisements for men and women. Like, men, they are cool, or women, they are also cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is uh, this is a thing that is also sitting here. So I read it. It was, uh, I mean, clearly, I guess, much of the way that Gord's Civil War is uh, uh, about 9-11, this is clearly about the Red Scare and communism. Uh, it's... I, I, I don't think that uh I, I don't I've only read uh one of Arthur Miller's other plays I guess also seen which is Death of a Salesman which I think is much better but uh part of the, part of the problem with this I think was just that oh we know how these witch trials ended it's the it's the Titanic right. problem right you know, you know that the boat is going to end so and the cold war's over what yes the you know the the cold <laughs> war where we where we won by burning all those witches <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I also read uh, a, a uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne short story, which uh, I, as an outspoken critic of the Scarlet Letter, I just don't think that that book is it, it's good. But it's like it is a good piece of literature, but I I just can't enjoy it ever. Uh, I read The Minister's Long Black Veil, which is about this minister who decides one day that he's going to wail, wear a long black veil all over his face and never ever take it off for the rest of his life. And uh he by Yeah, he he uh alienates all of his friends and his fiance and all of his parishioners and then dies alone and unhappy. <laughs> the I guess the the point of this is like Ah, uh, but I, I wear the veil, but truly do not all of you also wear the veil, for if this veil is covering my sin, do we all not wear our sins upon our faces? Because, you know, uh, Puritans. But uh, it was, it was you know, a little spooky. It was sort of like a, a weird fiction type of story. There's one point where he, he's giving a sermon over a dead body, and he looks down and the, the cloth, you know, ha- falls forward a little bit but only the corpse can see him and the corpse starts to writhe around and people later think that they saw him like walking away from the casket with the ghost of the, of the dead girl. It's uh it's good. It was like seven or eight pages long. Maybe I think that Hawthorne is a really good short story writer and sort of a miserable novelist as, as uh, many people who work in sort of the Gothic are, if you look at Poe or Lovecraft Anyway, so that's what I read. Um, so basically, let's, this, let's talk. This book is about Dorian Gray, except the picture is his face. So, wait, in Dorian Gray, the picture was his face. Like that—that's what the picture of Dorian Gray was. It was a painting of his face. Yeah. <laughs> but in uh, in the book you read, the uh, he, he's wearing the picture of his face on his face. There's um, no picture. It's just well, no, his face. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, it never tells you what his face looked like. Even after he was dead, the townsfolk were too afraid to uh, lift the veil, so they buried him in it. And the last line is just like, even to this day, the townsfolk are afraid of that grave because they know that he is there with his veil. (laughs) So I guess that, like, you know, this was a thing that was super scary a long time ago, but we've thought of scarier things since then. Like, um, I don't know. Everything in the binding of skeletons. Zombie skeletons, yeah, sure. Okay. 
All right, let's uh, let's let's go to the game segment, shall we? Transition noise. I... Yeah, that's that's where that transition noise will go. <laughs> that that uh, awkward silence. Greg, you said you were catching up on a lot of games. Yeah. So what games have you been catching up on? Uh, some old and new. Um, uh, a game called uh, Valkyria Chronicles came out on Steam this week. It's originally came out, I think, like six years ago uh, on the PlayStation 3. Um, and Is that a JRPG? Uh, uh, yes, sort of. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird game. It's like a strategy RPG. Uh, set in like a fictitious, uh, basically an alternate reality World War II. Um, it's a really unique game. It's actually one of my fa- it's it's like easily one of my favorite games of the last sort of uh, console generation. Um, and since it was like a PlayStation 3 exclusive at a time when the PS3, you know, wasn't even that popular, um, it's uh, I don't think it like. It is one of those games where every you know just about everyone who played it loved it, but I don't think a lot of people played it. But right now, it, I think it's even at this moment, it's the number one game on Steam, um, beating out things like uh, Call of Duty: Advanced Warfare and the new um, the new Assassin's Creed game that came out on the same day. So I I just love that. I think it's amazing because the game totally. Uh, it totally deserves it. It's a it's really a one of a kind game. It's beautifully presented. Um, it's got a really great story and cast of characters and uh, really interesting gameplay that's not like anything else. So it has all the stuff that should make a game a hit, but it wasn't a hit before. So the fact that it has like a second life on on Steam now, I, I just find to be heartening. Um, but I bounced from playing that to playing a Wolfenstein New Order. Uh, which is a ga- the, the New Order, which is uh, a game I've been... Is that the one that came out last year? Uh, it came out earlier. It came out actually on the same exact day as Transistor, which is part of the reason oh. uh, I <laughs> have not gotten around to playing it yet. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, Bethesda published it, um, but it was developed by a studio called Machine Games um, at, based out of Sweden. And it's their first game, but... These are guys worked at Starbreeze on games like the Chronicles of Riddick, and I love the Chronicles of Riddick. It is like I think an underrated uh, masterpiece um, uh, in in like as far as first person shoot, action games go. So I was really excited to, yeah, I, I was excited that they were working on a new Wolfenstein game, and sure enough, they leave it to those guys to like put an interesting narrative into a into a franchise that like has nothing to do with narrative histori- historically. Um, yeah, I, I, I heard good things about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, not only not only good things, but, like, surprised good it things. It is... Like, wait, this game is good? What? It's, it's pretty, like, it's sort of... the Yeah, it is surprising for sure, I think, and, like, the, the kind of... The relatively, like, nuanced characterizations in a game like Wolfenstein are not something you would probably expect. Um, so, and, and also it will, it like struck me that I was like playing two alternate history World War II games at the same time, which was kind of funny. Uh, I kind of, I like the idea of like game pairings or whatever. So they, Valkyria and Wolfenstein made for, made for a nice, uh, pair of games, but I've got a pretty long list of stuff that I've been meaning to play. Oh, I've also been playing Bayonetta 2 a bunch. I just got a Wii U like just the other week uh, in part 
so that I could play Bayonetta 2 because um, I love the first one and it's just a game I wanted to support and Bayonetta 2 is fantastic and I could talk about that like probably forever for a long time anyway uh, I've been really enjoying that also so and then uh, yeah I alluded Hearthstone though has been uh, the staple of my diet for for many months now that's just the game that's my like sort of soul food game that I'll just comfort food game that I'll come back to uh, pretty much on a on almost a daily basis these days um it's just cool. yeah cool uh well Paul, you watched the Hearthstone World Championships, right? I watched most of it. I had to stop watching because I had to leave work. Um, oh, that's a good use of your work time. I'm sure your boss is super yeah. happy. Uh, it, was, it was fun. It's, I just had it on mostly for the audio. I like just to have some noise on while I'm doing work. So I got to hear um, people doing crazy plays or whatever for the most part until I left. Um, but I did not actually get to catch the finals. Um, but I did notice that Zoo did really well, and that makes me really happy. Makes you happy that Zoo did really well? I know. It's really weird, right? Everyone hates Zoo, but I actually love Zoo, so it makes me really happy. Did you, uh, did you see the Hearthstone panel that they did at BlizzCon? Uh, no, I did not. They did this, th- uh, they, they put up a word cloud. I guess they pulled... There was a thread on, I think, Reddit where people, the question was like, what is your favorite thing about Hearthstone? What is your least favorite thing about Hearthstone? And they, they I guess, pulled that topic and made a word cloud out zoo of Zoo and Zoo. That, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> most, uh, the most hated thing was RNG. Yeah. And the second biggest was Zoo. Yep. So. But those are probably those people like. should go play Prismata. Yeah. <laughs> but RNG and Zoo, yeah, are probably also things that people really love about Hearthstone, it's like, it swings both ways. Right, right. Justin and I have so, uh, Randuin decks that we just play against each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably <laughs> one of the most fun things you can do in Hearthstone. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, my and favorite it, thing I, is to... You what? Uh, sorry, uh, my favorite thing is to uh, go into deck making and suggest a card until the deck is full, and then play with that deck. <laughs> so speaking of uh, speaking of random cards in Hearthstone, though, how about that the, the new Hearthstone expansion that's coming out, Goblins vs. Gnomes, where every card seems to just be a random effect on the board somewhere? <laughs> I I think they are um I think they like front loaded a lot of their kind of wackier cards just to get people kind of excited about it. Um, right. I, I, it's it's a hundred twenty plus cards, and they've shown right. yeah, and they've shown like 40. yeah, even less. I think it's like well, it's probably close to thirty by now. But yeah, they've shown a fraction of the total thing. And I think they've said explicitly on, on Twitter or something that, yeah, not all of them are just crazy random things that we, we just wanted to kind of put some of that out there, but it's going to be a balance. So I'm, I'm pretty, I totally get where they're coming from with that for sure. Like the cards with random effects are some of the, you know, lead to some of the most exciting situations in the game of like a, you know, is Ragnaros going to, you know, kill the guy or is he just going to hit the little one, one spider or something like those are exciting yeah, I mean, situations. So they're the cards that take advantage of the fact that this is a video game. Yeah. Right. And also that it's also frankly, that it's like a card game or I mean, not all card games are, are random obviously, but something like a, like I think the, you know, even stuff like poker, I, I think some of the un- unpredictability of many card games is like part of the allure it just keeps 
surprise keeps creating surprising situations and kind of unique little moments or something. That's that's why I yeah. keep playing Hearthstone. I think for sure because sometimes you know sometimes luck is on your side and other times it's not and sometimes you get on like an unlucky streak. But I think it's it really is a, a game of skill. I think and I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm constantly. I don't know actually that I'm getting better at it, um, but I feel like I could get better at it if that makes sense. And I still enjoy uh, playing it, you know. And yeah, it really looks yeah, no. the expansion. Uh, the luck is is awesome. The actually today I was playing a game of Hearthstone as a priest, where all I was using my random priest deck, and uh, I was against a mage, and I turn one mind vision a pyroblast, so I just knew he had it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then I was uh, just focusing on making sure my health was above ten at all times, and it came down to okay, he could play it next turn, and win. Uh, Thought steal into ice block. Oh man. <laughs> So I ate the pyroblast, and then pyroblasted him back to win. Uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's like a yeah. that's a disgusting and awesome way to to win. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh look, I'm a mage too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had uh, man, I, I, I it's not going to top that, but I I want to I want to play a priest is is probably I don't play priest, but I think I think priest is the inter- the most interesting class in the game. It's it, there's just it, just inherently because he can be stealing anyone else's stuff and all and also just like the variation on his own hero power that you could like kind of turn it into a damage power. It, he he has a level of depth and complexity that I think is yeah, different. It makes me wish priests were like that in World of Warcraft. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've played WoW. Uh, I guess that expansion is coming out like any day now too. The, uh, the eight hours, oh, less wow. than eight hours, yeah. like. In uh, 3 a.m. Pacific, or 3 a.m. Eastern, midnight Pacific is when it comes out. Yes. So yeah, soon. I haven't played WoW in a in a really long time. Not that I wouldn't. Actually, I tried the. Um, I inst- I reinstalled it when, when uh, Lich King, came out, um, but but didn't really get back into it. Just wanted to try it. Yeah. They've they've definitely changed the game since uh, the beginning. There there's such a heavy focus on narrative now compared to how it was. That's surprising, actually. Oh. I guess, yeah, considering what people... That doesn't seem to be, like, a big motivator for people who play MMOs. I think that uh, they wanted to expand the audience, yeah. which meant making it a little more of a single-player game in a lot of I, ways, so there has to be a strong narrative and cutscenes and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, anyway. I, I know what you mean, right. Speaking of cutscenes, uh, how about that Overwatch trailer that came out of nowhere? Yeah, that's cool. That was, like, a... Pixar movie. <laughs> they uh, Blizzard's uh, CG department yeah. has been quite strong for for a very long time now. So yeah, that trailer was that video was no exception, I guess, as far as that. Yeah, I was I was watching the panel um, while I was in Columbus waiting for right. other people to show up. You what? I think we were talking about it while we were watching. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was like, huh. Is is there is this like a movie? Like is this actually a movie? This doesn't look like it's a video game. You're this right. looks like it might just be like a TV show or something. And this is really long. And then they were like, "Oh, it's Team Fortress." Yeah, too. yeah. We're making Team Fortress too. I, I had that moment yeah. with it where the whole time I was, it, it, it was actually distracting. It was distracting to me because the whole time I'm trying to figure out like what, like what game is this? Because uh, it looked it looked cool as a video, but I mean, couldn't understand exactly. 
what yeah. what the gameplay was going to be, assuming it was a game. Um, and then it, and then it's like, oh, it's a it's a team shooter. Okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, and then and then Paul and I continued to watch, and we're like, okay, uh, that, there's the heavy, there's the scout, <laughs> there's the spy. Yeah, you okay, know, we got it's, it's funny. Like every time uh, Blizzard doesn't announce games very often, but like Blizzard is often accused of like not being innovative or whatever. It, it, it's like the historic criticism of Blizzard, but Blizzard is like never been about inventing genres like the one time they tried with the original uh, Warcraft like when they first announced Warcraft 3 their ambition was to create a whole new genre and then they're like you know what we're going to make it a real time strategy game after yeah, after they're, they're always about refining Yeah exactly so and they just do it better right and this this looks like it's Blizzard being Blizzard of like hey here's a genre that we really enjoy it's like not part of our portfolio right now and we're going to take it and we're just going to like do it better than other people do it so I'm I'm a-okay with that and I, I, I've i just I kind of cooled off Blizzard was like one of my favorite developers for years and years but I had kind of cooled off on them and in, in recent years but I think Hearthstone and now and actually Reaper of Souls is really good they they I feel like they've been having a really really good year uh turning yeah they've sort of refocused their studio yeah I think. Um, but yeah, I, wonder, I was wondering how much of this game becoming... Because I guess it was born out of Titan. Like, all the assets and, and story and stuff came out of Titan when that got cancelled. But I was wondering, hmm, how much of this, uh, how much of this is, is taking aim at Valve specifically? <laughs> uh, revenge. Revenge for taking the Dota name. Oh, I, I, I doubt. I, I, I think it's like... More Not actually, but it would be... No, a I know story. what you mean. It's like... I think it's more like... I mean, this is a style of game that's pretty... Like Gearbox just announced a game recently called uh, Battleborn that like is mm-hmm. also, I think Battleborn is like the most similar to this of like it's got this kind of eclectic cast of like robots and anime chicks and whatever else that they've kind of thrown together. Um, so so I was reminded of that, um, you know TF2, and but yeah TF2 has been around forever and is a huge huge success. So a lot of a lot of people. This game will be fine as long as there are hats. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't think they've said like what the what the price model or whatever is, but I yeah, I think like everyone just kind of assumes it's going to be uh, free to play, or at least I at least I did. Um, yeah. And, yeah. It, it we'll, seems they, like. I mean, every other game that seems to be within this team shooter genre seems to be essentially free to play. Um, it reminds me actually a lot of uh, Super Monday Night Combat. Which shuts down. Right. So I'm right. hoping this can fill that hole. Yeah, no, and that was a right. The Uber guys were one of the first with Monday Night Combat. They were like one of the first to kind of go that. Though they specifically kind of combined the the MOBA like League of Legends style play with a, with a shooter, which I guess is what yeah the 2K game is is um, the Gearbox game rather is doing. Um. Yeah, so the the but but I haven't been into I personally have not really been into like I'm pretty shootered out in recent years. Wolfenstein is one of the first that I've gone back to and that's like single player only. And I played some Destiny, but Destiny didn't really grab me like it did a lot of people cuz yeah, I didn't didn't really want to play it with others, but I like I I really like that Blizzard is like character focused and just trying to kind of make these really different feeling characters with it. So I liked uh, that aspect of it. 
Yeah. Just all right, Gord. You've been you've been really quiet. Mm. Uh, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Because you weren't here last week. Yeah. You were uh, you were buying cattle in Kobe. I guess uh, <laughs> you guys probably talked about Evolve and was Isaac out by then? Yeah. Isaac was out. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, I did not talk about Evolve because you were not here, and I figured you would also want to talk about Evolve. Cool. Thank you. That was a that's a fun game. Uh, would you would would you recommend it when to it someone works. who was uh, yeah? <laughs> uh, well, that's that's Alpha. Mm. Yeah. Would you recommend it to someone who is uh, burnt out on shooters? Um. See, that's really hard. It's interesting because ha- I mean half the time it's not a shooter because you're playing as a yep. giant Godzilla. <laughs> but my main one of my main complaints is that. Like, we were playing it, and we were just, like, running all around looking for, uh, where's the monster? Where, where is anything on this map? But if you look at the actual size of the maps, uh, especially afterwards when it shows you the entire, like, where did everybody move over the course of the game, There's like three. that map is really small. Like, three all stages. of the maps are really small, and as soon as people, like, start figuring out what the map is like... I feel like the the maps in that game need to be like three times as big as they actually are to stay consistently interesting. I don't know. Most of the games that we played the... didn't find the monster until he was already level three. Yeah. Also, okay, and, but uh... also we had never played the game before. Yeah. Like people are gonna learn those maps and they're just gonna become you know lords of evolve. <laughs> I um, like uh, I like some of the uh, some of the, some of the balance that was put in. Like uh, you can you can split up as a party to find the the, the monster sooner. Uh, but if yeah. you do, when you find him, uh, he's going to stop on you because yep. you don't have your team. Uh, I also am sort of wondering what what Turtle Rock's game here is with this game. It's it doesn't seem like there's any place in the market for it. Like it it was fun. No, like I'm not saying this is a bad game, but I'm not sure where they're gonna take it. Like what's gonna make people continue to play Evolve in a month after it comes out? Hmm. And not just be super dead servers all the time. Well, you've got the uh, the experience system. You can level up and grab different perks for your uh, character. Yeah, but I don't I don't think that that in and of itself is an incentive to keep playing. Mm. Well, why do people play uh, MOBAs? Because well, people play League of Legends because there are a billion people playing. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, will this game sell enough to build up an audience? Hmm. They can't really, like, they can't go... Also, East, MOBAs go the esports route. Like, they can televise matches, and ha- you can't, just can't do that with this game because it's a one-on-five, or one-on-four, right? So one team is always going to be just one dude. I don't know. It just... It seems like it's a weird... It's in a weird space. You could, like, you could have, like, players who... Like, I don't want them to fail with it. I'm I'm glad that despite, like, what, three different studios... And changing hands from THQ to 2K, like it's still gonna it's still gonna come out. But I'm I'm just not really sure about what this thing's life is yeah. gonna look like. People seem so have- super hyped on it, though. Like I think it like won a lot of the big. Uh, I don't know that E3 awards are like a, a huge like indicator of future success or anything. But it, people seemed really really excited for. I was impressed with how much of a splash. Evolve made, you know, all, all things considered, y- y- the stuff you were saying and just it being a, a, you know, it's not like based on some big existing, it's not like a sequel. Yeah, thing. no, it's a cool original yeah. sort of idea. It's like takes the cat and mouse game and sort of turns it upside down. So, but 
uh, yeah, like I think that it might be critically acclaimed and not not financially acclaimed. That's my that's my concern. Anyway, we'll see. All right. Um, Proposal. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You build a team uh, that is four dudes and one monster, and there can be some overlap. And then when you are placed, you send your uh, if you are the monster team, you send your strongest player to play as the monster. Uh, and then you play against the other team, and then you maybe trade back and forth. So you still have a consistent team. Mm. Or you just have, like, dedicated monsters and have them... Because I feel like they also balanced it really well uh, for, like... Hmm. At a certain point, anyways, the monster is as strong as those four dudes. So, like, you right. could just have a, a team that is just dedicated monster dude and only gets placed against uh, dedicated teams. You'd like, you like you could definitely do the eSports thing. Um, maybe. I'm not, I'm not super confident in that model. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, oh, I played a game that I bet no nobody here has played or, I guess, if I hadn't mentioned it, would have even heard of. Uh, I played The Last Court. Uh, do you guys know about this game? I know Paul knows a little bit about it because I described it like 10 minutes before we started. Only yeah, because I Googled it after you mentioned it. Okay, The Last Court is a Dragon Age game uh, that came out this week. It is, I guess it is technically an EA Bioware game because it is a Dragon Age game, but it was actually developed by Story Nexus, who did the game Sunless Sea. Uh, well, it's in Story ne- Nexus, again. The, the studio is, I think, uh, Fail Better Games. They also did a uh, Fall in London. Oh, uh, okay. And this, okay, this is a text-based game that takes place over the span of seven real-life days. Um, it's got microtransactions in it, but like I, I haven't seen any reason to ever even consider doing that because all they let you do is advance an extra day, like they they let you speed up that seven-day clock. I think. Um, and it's got, I mean, I, like, this, this This sounds awful because these are, like, hallmarks of, of things that are super exploitative and awful in games. It's got, like, a, a ref, constantly refreshing energy bar, but you don't really need to continually play it. You can just come back once or twice a day, and you'll be fine. Like, you could play your entire day's turns and then wait a day and then play your entire day's turns and not need to bother with that unless you're really into it. Um, the story is that you are this nobleman who has a little fife. Uh, in the Dragon Age equivalent of France. And you are getting a visit from the head of the church in seven days, and you have to amass a large quantity of resources in order to impress this person. So it's a research man- resource management game. You have, like, I don't know, ten different stats. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. And the way that you play is it you, you spend one of your energy points to draw a hand of cards, and you play through and you play through like three different things that happen and within those different events you make decisions and they raise or lower different stats and those stats also determine your success at future adventures so you're always tra- like trading success at one type of adventure for success in another when you when one goes up or the other goes down um your chances to succeed are like percentage based based on those stats. Uh, every day you get a special card that advances a cool, unique individual story for that day. 
anyway, I am uh I have four days left in this game. I've been enjoying it a lot. Uh it's entirely text based. You just read what happens to you. Um it's sort of like a a bunch of little stories about the characters uh you accumulate for your court uh, counselors and a lover and accomplice and a bodyguard and uh cool it's it's just like a neat little game and it's free so uh i I would say if you're interested in any of fail better's uh prior stuff sunless sea or or a fall on london check it out cool sounds cool yeah uh i was i was surprised by how much i was enjoying it given that all of the other sort of Dragon Age free-to-play games were definitely made by EA. All right. Those... <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Uh, Paul, you haven't Wait. actually talked about what I... you... Oh, what? Do you have another game? Yeah. I've got, I've got three more okay. games. Oh, okay. i got Isaac, Massive Chalice, and Isaac. Uh, Massive Chalice... I, I think... That... <laughs> <laughs> Massive Chalice is, a, uh, is one of Double Fine's new games. They kickstarted it. Uh, and I'm on that. Uh, I'm among the uh, the people who kickstarted it, who's getting the uh, the early beta. Uh, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's fantasy XCOM with bloodlines. You're sort of this immortal who uh, can just fast forward through years, and you are managing a kingdom over centuries instead of uh, I, I don't know what. Normal games usually go by day to day or something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so it's the opposite of uh, this Dragon Age game, which is you manage a kingdom <laughs> over one week. Yeah. So uh, you've got your hero pool, and uh, they have an age, and they will eventually die. Uh, and uh, so you've got to keep your uh, your population up uh, in order to continue to be able to fight. Uh, and you do this by building keeps and assigning uh, a regent and a partner to each keep, and they will start pumping out babies as the years pass. Uh, And they will, every hero has a set of attributes and that make them better or worse in in battle. And you can, uh, you can have those traits passed down and you can have your own, uh, your own eugenic system. (laughs) You can breed out the bad traits and uh, maximize on the the positives. Uh, and uh, so far, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a lot of the a lot of the art is um, maybe not incredibly polished yet, uh, but it's definitely going somewhere. And if you like uh, if you like a uh, uh, I don't know a, a wasteland two or an XCOM, you will probably like the uh, combat system a lot. Uh, yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about that. There's like a <laughs> there's a goofy mode that you can choose when uh, when starting the game. Oh, that's where you appear as a comical dog, right? Yep. <laughs> no, I think uh, I, I I opted against that one, <laughs> but uh, I think it's just all of the names show up as uh, as ridiculous versions of those names instead in the uh, the name generator. Oh, one interesting thing is that when you assign a hero as a regent. Uh, that region is no longer in the hero pool, so they can't. Uh, they can no longer fight. Uh, so you got uh, you got all kinds of decisions to make. Yeah. Also, I've been playing Binding of Isaac Rebirth, and uh, I'm sure that uh, everyone who is listening to the podcast has uh, also played that a whole bunch. 
because uh, whenever I am on Steam, I just get a constant toaster stream of uh, this person is playing Binding of Isaac Rebirth. This person is playing Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Uh, it, is, uh, it is pretty fantastic. There have been apparently some complaints about art and music, but I think those complaints are nonsense and that this Entirely is warranted. a much, much, much stronger game. And, uh, yeah, no, the gameplay is definitely better. I'm really curious what happened between uh, Edmund and uh, Debbie Baradowski that caused him to excise all of the music from this game and also like he doesn't even sell the Super Meat Boy soundtrack on his website anymore. Really? Like something something yeah, something happened that Yikes, we'll have to uh, we'll have to have change. him back on the show. <laughs> oh yeah, that's definitely a thing that we should ask him. Yep. Hey, well welcome back. We haven't talked to you for a while. Uh tell us what happened between you two. Mm, we uh I would like to ask him about uh <laughs> his reaction to the data mining. Oh story. yeah. Uh, did he, Greg and Paul? Did you hear about this? I did. Um, I actually like. I haven't played a ton. Of, I'm, um, I haven't played enough like, Binding of Isaac to like sort of like be that into it to like care about what the thing was. But I got the impression, yeah, that there was like a big sort of hidden mystery in there that people you know figured out instantly. Um, and you know to the to the big disappointment of the dev team. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I was curious to know like what the thing actually was. I don't know that it should be covered so, here, but I, yeah, I didn't. I was going to say, I, yeah. I think at this point it's out. Yeah. Like, okay, if I'm, I'm going to put a disclaimer. If you don't want to know about it, just like skip forward yeah. five minutes in this in this podcast. So so I read a Reddit thread yeah. about it that somebody linked to me. Those guys were and my understanding is, yeah, though that it's a secret character that you have to unlock by dying in four specific ways as four different characters, oh, wow. all in the same game session, just one after another okay. you have to go through. Yeah. Like really obscure. Deaths. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the, the way that the game signals that this is a thing that exists is because if you happen to die the correct way as one of those characters at any point, you get uh, on your game over screen, a little puzzle piece. And I think it's like 20 of those puzzle pieces will allow you to construct a screenshot of a death screen showing you that a char- that, that character died in that way right. and indicating that something is up with that particular kind of death. And uh, they wanted, yeah, it was, so I guess they wanted it to be sort of like an ARG, except for it wasn't actually alternate reality. Yeah, yeah. It was just a hidden thing. But yeah, some data miners just like hack- hacked it. And Edmund threw a uh, threw a tantrum. What's what's the character? On, uh, like what what can be such a grand secret? This guy, this guy a is ghost. Justin's ideal character. It's a ghost. Okay. He uh, so he can't. What is it? He he st- he can't pick up health. Yeah. Is that it? Zero hearts and uh, yeah, you can't ever get hit, or you will just instantly yeah. die. But uh, he gets all of the ru- all of the deals with the devil for free. And given that my strategy in Isaac don't is, uh, one, just, yeah, don't take damage because why would you do that? Everything is 100% avoidable in this game. It's like, it's entirely skill-based. And two, the because you're never going to take damage, deals with the devil that you trade your health bar for power are always worth it because right. why would you need that health anyway? <laughs> like, this is the best character. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, also, I sort how of, are you? Like, the fact that the, that Rebirth like runs at a faster frame rate is, is really big for that. That for me was like part of what made it harder for me to get into the original because it, it was such like a skill-based game. And I, I just wished that it ran like 
sort of silky smooth and could never get it running quite as smooth as I would have would have liked. And this new one does that, so I see myself uh, getting into it more. Also, the controller support. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. It didn't even. Right. It didn't have controller support when it originally. Yeah. It was just like you want to use a controller. Uh, why don't you try Joy Two Key? Yeah. I. I also am like in a minority that doesn't like the new graphics. I think. I think it's just sort of like they put the old graphics through a, a rasterizer, which isn't actually you know clearly is not what actually happened. But I think that's sort of what it looks like. And I'm not sure that I think his his art style translates to pixel art. But I don't know. I think a lot of people like it. So maybe I'm just sad and backwards. <laughs> Yep, that one. Uh, speaking of yep. controller okay. support, <laughs> uh, I was playing with... Uh, nice transition. Yeah, I was, I was playing with Maggie. Uh, this is a game that just... You're Ma- Maggie, your wife, or Maggie, the character? Oh, uh, good question. Because this game has multiplayer, so... <laughs> yeah, I was, I was playing with my wife, Maggie, uh, who okay. I may have even been playing as Maggie, who is uh, definitely her favorite character. And was my favorite character until uh, Azazel came out, who just starts with flying and brimstone. Um, but uh, yeah, a second player can just pick up a controller and hit start at any time and be playing the game. Uh, and uh, that is super cool and uh, also very fun and satisfying. Probably online multiplayer is not in the works just because this is such a, a reaction-based skill game. But... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We did not, we did not win, but, uh, we got pretty far. We got to, like, mom's room, maybe? Uh, but yeah, if you've, uh, if you've got a buddy and you like sitting on a couch and playing a game with a buddy, um, this is the game. Uh, this game and then Halo. <laughs> All right, uh, Paul. Do you have anything that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, after like almost three weeks of badgering my friends, we finally finished the Borderlands pre-sequel campaign. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, we literally. You've only been at the final boss for three left weeks. of the game to actually finish, and apparently that was just the most difficult thing in the world. The true final boss was your friends. <laughs> yes, but that's essentially what happened. Um, but we finished it, and that makes me feel very happy. Um, now I can get on with my life and maybe play the handsome Jack doppelganger um, in some other fashion later. Cool. Well, we're about at our hour uh, for the idea of the first hour, so why don't we uh, why don't we move to uh, to talking talking to Greg here about some games that he made. Sweet. Sure. All right, so so Greg, um, I hear that you made the game Command and Conquer Three. Uh, yes, Red yes, Earth. I made it all by myself. <laughs> Everyone else, yeah, in your basement, yeah, uh, weekend exactly. And, uh, things, we right? had to put in a long credit sequence to disguise the fact that really I <laughs> alone made the game in in just two months. No, yeah, I, I that was the first that was the first game I worked on. Um, I, I joined. Prior to that, I was working in the gaming press at GameSpot, um, and I left to uh, get into development, which was something I wanted to do, wanted to try since I was a little kid. And yeah, I joined on the tail end of Command and Conquer Three, but yeah, um, it got to. Well, this is yeah, this is momentous because now we have had uh, we have had developers on all of the original Command and Conquer trilogy as that's guests. That's cool. So, that's right, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we had a. Uh, Ed Del Castillo, yeah. uh, a, 
as one of our very first guests. So the the circle is complete. Who, who was who was the other one? Uh, or or Ed Ed I guess worked on both. Yeah, yeah. he was one and two. Right. Yep. But uh, he he le- I guess he left before before three. So as said the the circle is complete now. Now we are the master. Um, so uh do you have it i guess we as a result of us having him on we we picked up a bunch of command and conquer uh community listeners so i I wanted to know if there is any uh briefly i guess because i i guess that most of our audience probably wants to hear more about super giants games are there any good uh anecdotes that you want to tell Um, about Man. The development of Command and Conquer Three or uh, Red Alert. 3. Uh man, I n- nothing like immediately jumps out at me when I'm put on the spot. I wasn't like I wasn't actually ever on the the film sets, but I think a lot of people like want to know. Like with Red Alert Three, it was a pretty crazy and fun cast. Right, it was right. like George George Takei and and stuff like that, and all these guys. Uh, I, but I, I wasn't personally on the set. Um, so I don't know what any of the any of that craziness was was like. I mean, it wasn't like so. So no, I I, I don't I don't have anything sort of sensational. I had a really good uh, experience overall working on those games, and uh, really loved working with like the um, the design and the audio teams in particular. Uh, the audio I thought was like really one of the unsung stars really just like did a lot of heavy lifting on both those games as really it was something i was like relatively proud of in terms of how those games turned out so i and i loved working yeah on the audio side whatever writing unit responses and this is part of why i i like i i really like real-time strategy games for the amount of personality that they can have and like the kind of little playful interactions you could have with all your units you know blizzard did a lot of kind of pioneering work on this stuff. Um, but uh, Command and & Conquer, and the, the the team at EA, did a lot of really awesome stuff there, too, because they had previously worked on Generals and uh, the Battle for Middle-Earth games and then moved back to Command & Conquer. So, yeah, it was a really great team, but but I, I, have, I have nothing uh, scandalous to share at this time. Maybe I'll think of something. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can always come yeah. back to it. Paul, you said this was your favorite Command & Conquer, right? Uh, Red Alert 3 was. Uh, right on. Thank you. The plot. Yeah, yeah, the plot was fun. It was goofy, some some, uh, oh, some, some kind of silly fun. Uh, Red Alert 2, I think, still has, like, one of the... The introduction to Red Alert 2 is, is spectacular. It's really yeah. an amazing intro, uh, amazing use of full-motion video. Red Alert Three. I think the Red Alert Three intro was was quite cool to turn out quite well. So hopefully we uh, did did some justice to that. But uh, Red Alert Two is a tough act to follow for sure. Was Red Alert Two the one that opened with Yuri making the president shoot himself in the head? He doesn't shoot him. It's like it is the introduction of Yuri and the whole. It's just very foreboding. Because I, I played that game, but it was probably 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. It was at a it's friend's a long... house, so I never owned it. But you could, like, you look it up on YouTube or whatever. But it's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. such a, um, like, the tone of it is just great. It's just, it's, like, pretty, it's pretty self-aware and, and, like, funny and stuff, but also kind of, but also taking itself seriously in a way that makes it really easy to kind of get caught up in the whole thing and get excited about it. It's just uh, got a 
got a unique vibe that Red Alert 3 tried to recapture. Cool. Well, um, I guess after that you went to 2K, right? Uh, yeah, I. Uh, that's right. I went to – yeah, so I was at EA for like two and a half years. I was actually commuting there from Northern California, which, which was weird. Um, I meant to – I never uh, uh, kind of permanently relocated to Los Angeles. Um, and uh, after after Red Alert 3, we worked on a little expansion pack for Red Alert 3 called Uprising, which was not well-received at all, but I, I personally think had some cool stuff in it. It was just like, it didn't even have multiplayer in it. Like this is, So part of it was like, it was just not what a lot of players wanted us to make. Um but I thought it was interesting for what it was. And then w- I worked on – after that, the, the team kind of started to disband, um, and we started getting pulled on to various projects. So I worked on some other stuff at EA that was never announced and canceled and so on, um, and eventually went to 2K, um, which was back in up here in Northern California. And I worked on a game called Spec Ops The Line up there, which was already – uh, which had had a long development history, actually. Um, it, so it, it had been in development for several years uh, before I joined and was in development for a couple of years, even after I, I left, because uh, I was there for uh, for a year. Um, and then, yeah, and then I went uh, over to rejoin my, my friends at Supergiant, uh, which was uh, – Supergiant is co-founded by – uh, by uh, Amir and Gavin, who I met at EA, so we all worked on yeah Command and Conquer three and Red Alert three together beforehand. Well, well, uh, we I guess I guess moving to Supergiant, we we do have a question yeah. that was submitted a long time ago, <laughs> um, which is uh, submitted by Maggie. Is this a uh, Gord? Is this your wife, Maggie, or yeah. is this a Maggie via the website? No, Maggie? it's uh, it's Maggie from Binding of Isaac. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Um, and, and her question is about Bastion. It says, uh, "How important from the beginning of development was narration? Was it part of the initial vision?" Yeah, that, I mean that's a it, that's a really fun question to answer because uh, so the answer is like the the narration did not exist uh, as part of the uh, original conception for the game. Uh, Bastion went into development in uh, September of two thousand nine. And uh, the first, the first use of like we didn't record narration for the first time until January the following year, and it hadn't even really been contemplated. It was a pretty spontaneous thing. Um, the like I think we for sure part of like the vision of the game was to like try to do something interesting with narrative, um, kind of recognizing that we. We love action RPGs, uh, and and like narrative seemed like some an area where there was room for exploration. There, like action RPGs have not done a ton there historically. They're mostly about the kind of raw gameplay and kind of the grind and the pursuit of better loot. So we're like maybe we could do something more character driven that can kind of leave a lasting impression on people after they're done playing it. But we didn't know how that was going to work. And the narration, like I said, it didn't happen until a few months in. Um, it seemed really promising. It sort of satisfied a lot of requirements, that, a lot of constraints, I should say, that we that we had for the narrative, which is like we didn't want the narrative to be like interrupting the player constantly, like with cutscenes or walls of text or any of that kind of stuff. It had to be mm-hmm. like a very 
immediate game. Um, so the narration worked with all that. Um, and then we really liked how it could just sort of respond, you know, be used to like respond to the player's actions. And we, we liked the parts of the game that had the narration. And then when we'd run into a, a part of the game that didn't have the narration, we'd be like, Hey, this would be better if it had narration. So we're like, let's just, let's just go all in with this thing. Let's, let's put it the whole way through. It was compatible with the, everything I'd been thinking about in terms of a story for the game. Like, like, like it was always like the game was always called Bastion. Um, It was always going to be about this kind of mysterious look. This is this game where you kind of restore the world from this central location and, one of the earliest character ideas was for like the the mysterious caretaker of this bastion location. So it was pretty natural to be like, Hey, the whole story could be told from that guy's point of view. Um, but part of the reason the narration happened uh, is, is because of Logan Cunningham, who's, who's the voice actor. Uh, Cause he's an old friend of uh, Amir's Amir's our studio director and, and uh, Darren, our audio director. So they all kind of knew each other and, uh, so the narration started, you know, as phoning in a favor to Logan, <laughs> like, hey, can you record a few lines for us? We want to try this thing. Um, and we kind of went from there. And we, we had really close, act, like, you know, the whole, all the voiceover was just recorded in Darren's coat closet. Um, and and uh, Logan was even Dar- Darren's roommate for like half the project. So we had, <laughs> we were a tiny little studio, right? And like, we have every reason to expect that we will fail as like a small studio that nobody's heard of. So we have to just try to do everything we can to like leverage our strengths and not, you know, fall victim to our weaknesses, our many, many weaknesses. So one of the advantages we did have was like, Hey, we know a guy with an awesome voice and he's like roommates with our audio director. We can record, you know, all the time, even big triple. And I just come from 2k, right? Uh, At 2k, you know, you can get like your you could get your awesome voice recording session with like Nolan North or whatever, but you got to plan that well in advance, and you're not going to have a lot of shots at that. So you have to have your whole script ready and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's a big sort of logistical challenge to record voiceover for a big AAA video game. Uh, so on the contrary, being able to record in this really ad hoc way with Logan was really awesome. Like I, th- I, we were able to get as strong of a performance as we did, you know, because of that. Um, and, and, uh, we were just able to iterate a lot because uh, we could just redo stuff as, as, as much as we wanted. Um, so that, that turned out to be one of our, uh, one, yeah, just something we had going for us on Bastion. And thankfully it, it ended up uh, being a well-regarded uh, part of the game when it finally came out. So uh, some something that uh, somebody at Supergiant clued me into uh, a couple of years ago, actually, I don't know who it was. It was over Twitter, was that uh, you are a fan of Boktai. Yeah, and that, that the, must the, have been the me. <laughs> is, okay, it, I didn't think it was you because uh, they they mentioned you in a way. Oh, they they tweeted like at you, they, they they were like Greg is a fan. Yeah, but, maybe uh, maybe yeah. that was me uh, speaking in the third person about myself in some <laughs> yeah. really crass way. Uh, but yeah, the yeah, I played Boktai. The the I, I actually reviewed those games for Gamespot back in, back in the day. You gonna say it seemed it seemed to me that when I was playing through uh, Bastion that that Boktai seemed like a huge influence on it. Just sort of the 
especially the aesthetic of the main character, yeah, was very, very similar <laughs> to Django. Yeah, they actually, uh, uh, Boktai did have kind of a quasi, like a, like a fantasy Western thing. Um, that, that, um, Boktai did not come up as a specific reference during development. I don't know that anyone besides me on the team has played it, um, but I do believe in sort of the power of group think. Um, yeah, they both they both have that like white tape thing on their face. Yeah, so. that that's kind of like an anime trope mm, thing, yeah. like the band aid, um, and that that idea. Yeah, I've there are other characters that that's just like uh, a nice sort of stand-in detail for like this character's been through some stuff. He's kind right. of a well, it's like um, rough and ready kind of guy. Yeah, um, it prevents the face from being symmetrical too. R- r- right. Yeah, it's also just a nice yeah visual detail and stuff. So yep. so something something that I that I read was that you guys had a sort of massive uh story bible and backstory for this yeah. game that you wrote and then never actually revealed to anybody. Uh that yeah, that's correct. Whoa. <laughs> Do you say so, so how uh, what 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 did that I guess look like was it was it mostly world backstory yeah. or did you write a whole bunch of characters that didn't make oh, it in no. but still yeah it's or? it's like um it's it's world backstory and and like it's uh it's definitely not like uh cut content yeah so it, it was a very kind of symbiotic process with the development basically at various stages of development you know um when when there isn't like a ton of content yet for the game like I I would I would work on that document to sort of prepare for the time when there would be more content. Um, what like the kind of the functional benefit of the of that document to me was that um, we I would do the writing for the like the actual narration writing I I would do only when there was like a level to write it for um, because it was so kind of connected to the moment to moment play that writing the narration prematurely would would have been just pointless. So instead, I was kind of working on working through the kind of the world and the uh, the story outline of the entire thing as our as our sort of understanding of of the game structure uh, and the gameplay um, hardened. And and so when the time came to write the narration, I had a lot of stuff to tap into because the game like we're we're actually like contrary to how it may seem, we're 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 a gameplay we're a gameplay driven studio more than we're like a narrative driven studio. We don't start with a story and then like backfill gameplay onto it. It's the other way. It's, it's closer to being the other way around where we, we like the narrative typically does not constrain the game design. Um, So, uh, and on Bastion, there were many cases where there was like a level that we wanted to put into the game. So I needed to have, some way to work that level into the narrative. Um, and this document helped me do that of like, well, okay, you know what? I haven't talked about the religion of the world yet. And that's something that I want to cover um, because I think that it, that's important to sort of understanding the characters in the world. So this is a good opportunity to talk about the religion now or something like that. Um, and I, I would kind of maintain the document for most of development, but during production, you know, like like when we're really in the thick of it and building out most of the content, by that point, uh, the document has served most of its purpose. Um, 
and uh, and the game itself becomes sort of the de facto becomes more canonical than the than the document in our own in our own eyes. Um, but to give you to give a more specific example of something like the there were the the kind of dream sequences in Bastion, if you recall, that that kind of reveal some of the character backstories as you fight through waves of of uh, enemies, basically. The, the who knows. Yeah, where, the who knows where sequences. Yeah. yeah. So that was those backstories we originally planned to never reveal in the game. Um, they were just there for us to know and understand. Um, like when it came to the characterizations of these characters uh, of of the small cast of characters in the game who each got like a pretty limited screen time other than the kid um so it was just good for us to know that stuff and to have an idea of who these people were even if we were never going to reveal it and i think there's like i think not revealing stuff like that is strong because you you as a player you could still feel that it's there. Um, and I think like not knowing every detail leads to an, an actual like expanded understanding of a world and a setting. It can be more immersive than when you just have like a encyclopedic knowledge of the thing available to you. Cause your brain starts to fill in the gaps. Um, and you start to like form logical connections that maybe the, the original authors, you know, you, you, the way you imagine certain things in your head may well be better than the way that the authors imagined it for themselves or may be more appealing to you. So I think finding that level of kind of mystery and ambiguity is, is something that, that uh, I, I look for. Um, but, but, I, but I think, you know, conversely, you could also tell when you play something and it's just kind of like, oh, it's just mystery for mystery's sake. There's nothing behind this. I'm just being, I'm just being teased. And I hate that. I hate that feeling, you know, with like a TV show, if if I feel like I'm being strung along or if I'm playing a game and it's just telling me some mysterious techno babble that doesn't mean anything, I, I that starts to feel condescending. So I think like if something is going to be mysterious, then the then it's the author's responsibility to know uh, what is behind that mystery, even if the mystery is never kind of fully revealed. Right. I mean, what they were never supposed to actually reveal who killed Laura Palmer, right? But the studio made them do oh, it. Oh, right, right. No, and there's Spoiler. a yeah. There, that's <laughs> like a, there are many classic examples. Like uh, Blade Runner is one of my favorite. Actually, Blade Runner yeah. was a fascinating example to me because because there are like five endings. Well, it's not now. only that. Like the uh, basically the the I guess the original they they kind of uh, recorded a bunch of narration. Uh, from Harrison Ford, the narration is is uh, and uh, my apologies to uh, Blade Runner fans who hold this sacred, but the narration I think is pretty like awful in that movie. It really hurts it because it just like tells you what's going on, and like you don't have to like pay attention to the acting anymore because he's like, I was feeling really down, and it's like, well, that's that's why you're an actor. Like you can convey <laughs> that visually. You don't need to just say it. Um, I think the version that I saw didn't no, happen. Yeah, and that's that. the director's cut. It's it's much better because it like part of the point of Blade Runner is ambiguity, like not to that feeling of uncertainty and so forth. So having someone just spell it out really uh, undermines it. Um, so I, I that was always like a fascinating. It was interesting that you know we we tried to use narration to opposite effect to like deepen to deepen things and to give you context 
that you couldn't have possibly discerned any other way rather than just like tell you what was going on that you like rather than just sort of reinforce the observations that you could make for yourself. Um, was there anything in in there that you like wanted to put in, but you just couldn't fit it in um, there that you thought was really n- cool? No, you know, it, it sounds like this answer sounds phony, uh, but but I I like in ba- Bastion was a really Bastion was the best work experience I have ever had. It, like it was a very there's a lot of hard work. Uh, for sure. And it took a lot out of us, but it was for me personally, it was very, very rewarding because I felt like everything I wanted to put into that game, I was able to put in just straight up. Um, I, I, I remember, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'll be able to, I think that many developers like they, they, they struggle for years to be able to have something like I, I feel very lucky that I've had any kind of experience like that. Um, but yeah, it, 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 like like we iterated heavily on it, and there were aspects of the story that that evolved for sure. But like people ask me, you know, which of the endings is canon? Like, did we add one of the endings later? And it's like, no, we we it, they both are. They, they yeah, that that actually is my answer. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, they. We we thought of those those endings came part and parcel to us. So there was a time when we were worried that, like maybe we wouldn't be able to support the ending choices that were in there, which I think gave ended up giving the ending of the game so much of its potency for the people who respond positively to it. Um, so I was really happy that we were able to uh, execute on those moments that were important to me. But but actually, you know, it is it does all evolve over the course of development. And although the, the final, final choice was something we anticipated, you know, relatively early on the, the bigger choice uh, before it uh, involving, involving Zulf, the, the, for the, anyway, not to, I don't know right. how familiar uh, all your listeners are, but there, there are two big choices near the end of the game. Um, and the first of those two choices, I think is one that many players respond, you, you know, think is the more powerful of the two, and that one, yep. we um, that one came up actually relatively late in development as a as like an opportunity, um, and I was really happy that we th- that one. I I myself, you know, maybe if you put a gun to my head and asked me which was, I'm really glad we pulled that one off. I think the the way we did it was an important scene to me, um, and uh, I I was just I was just really really uh, glad that what what. I was what I felt like we were trying to put into it that a lot of players seemed to kind of get that, get that stuff out of it, like whatever emotion was there. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, there was nothing worthwhile left on the cutting, cutting room floor in Bastion. Everything that we cut, um, made the game better. All right. Well, I'll, I'll ask a question for the fans who want to know stuff and yeah. you feel free to say, I don't, I don't want to answer that, but something that I've seen, when I was reading about Bastion after it came out, where well, a lot of people going, "Huh, is 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 Rux the kid? <laughs> is, like, is he from from another timeline or like from a reset that yeah. didn't work or something? Is is that a thing?" Uh, that is, I'm I'm glad that that players have speculated about that. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> um, the, the like okay. the the ambiguous relationship between Rux and the kid is 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 not an accident. Um, but, but like, but if, but if you were meant to like, 
my my whole thing is is like the game is the canon. I'm happy to like sort of describe the thought the right, thought process, but there, but but, not... but the game does not. The game does not, not say, yeah. The game, material. the game does doesn't say that Rux is actually the kid from another timeline. That's like if that's something that people want to speculate about, that is, I think that's cool. Uh, but that's not like a fact that is explicitly stated in the game. Uh, but right. but neither, think, the, yeah. but the kid, you know, yeah, the kid's like parentage is is left uh, ambiguous and right. And and Rux got his own eventual like who knows where, but it didn't actually tell you anything about that's, him. Yeah, that's right. Which we, which so. we thought about, um, because Rux, uh, definitely, you know, you back to that, uh, document, uh, he, he for sure has his, his backstory. We chose not to reveal, uh, but he does have one. Um, we chose not to reveal it, you know, because again, I think the mystery, the character has a mystery to him. Um, and you could tell, hopefully, Hopefully he doesn't feel like a shallow character. Hopefully he seems like he has a perspective, and that's why. That's no, he, why... he tells you a little bit about right. himself. He's like, yeah, he, you know, he, he fought used to the, work for the. Yeah, he used to yeah. work for the Mansers. He fought in the war. Um, all this stuff. So you get little bits and pieces of it. But yeah, we wanted to stop short of just telling it to you because he's he's got this kind of he's got a mystery to him, and and we felt that the character was stronger if you just kind of never quite knew how to peg him. Like like for my. What I really wanted out of him as a character is that, like, by the end of the game, you'd feel about him almost like a family member. Like, it was kind of like a complex – like, you love him, but maybe sometimes you hate him or whatever. Like, you you have some complicated feelings about him. Um, but, but you understand him. Like, you understand why he is the way he is, even if your own perspective might be a little different from his in some ways. Um, and, and similar to, like – you know, you don't know everything that your dad did when he was a kid or something like that. Like your dad, like my dad is this pretty conservative guy, pretty kind of he's a serious guy. But I'm I'm I was born in Moscow, um, but I I've seen like photos of my dad when he was in the Soviet military, like rocking an AK-47. It's like, damn, dude, my dad had a freaking AK-47. That's badass. My dad was some kind of badass, but 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 he's never told me about any of that stuff. I can only imagine, um, and I I like that. I again I, I I like you know being able to imagine that because I did ask my dad about that sometime. He's like, oh, I never shot it. That was just training, and it's like, oh, that's that's lame. <laughs> that's not as cool. That's not as cool as what I imagined in my head. So yep. So something that I wanted to ask you, especially in a game where sort of the the player has the freedom to dictate what type of person the kid is and and how he approaches his problems. Uh I wanted to sort of add to, uh, because you are I guess the writer on this game, how do you think about narrative and authorship in games? How much of the authorship of a game story is up to the player versus sort of the branching trees that you or, you know, any designer may write? So I know in sort of in in literature there's sort of this, narr- this this thinking about narrative that there is a plot and the plot is the events that are sort of independent from whatever the character that you're reading is presenting as his pers- or her perspective. But you can't really within a game where there's where there's variance, you can't really divorce the perspective of the main character from the plot in the same way that you can't give a plot to real life. So how, how do you see authorship breaking down? Yeah. So I, I like, 
I find that question sort of inherently fascinating and turn it over in my mind constantly. And, and the, the kind of the short cop-out answer is like, there is no right answer. And, and, oh, sorry, that's, son is screaming. It's an adorable little child. Yes, adorable in, in air quotes. Uh, he, yeah, his name is Isaac. He, I should make him play the Binding of Isaac. A lot to it. I would not suggest to reenact. <laughs> yeah, <either>. exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I digress. The um, like ga- games games have gone about the the question of authorship in in kind of every direction, right? There there's there's games that are like very heavily authored. Like you think of like a Metal Gear game where it has uh, Hideo Kojima's kind of personal style yeah, all over auteur. what's that is this is sort of the auteur yeah right it, it's it's like very sort of specifically authored um and then you have games that are you know you have a lot there's a big school of thought in game design that it's like it, it should be all about the player story and the game designer needs to sort of get out of the way and abdicate authorship uh, to the player as much as possible um so with bastion uh, you know i think we i think we tried to play with that and find find what we felt was a, a balance. And for me personally, my own experience as a, as a game player is that some of the most memorable games that I have ever played happen to be, happen to have had authored narratives um, or largely authored narratives, even if they like a, take like a Planescape Torment or something, for example. Uh, it's a not, not a super widely played, but a very highly regarded uh, PC role-playing game with a really wonderful and, and rich and complex story. It's a role-playing game. You could like make many choices in there, and some of the most powerful moments in it involve you making choices, but it's very much an authored story. Um, it's like sort of, I would say it's like 80% authored, if I had to put a number on it, and like 20% the kind of personal experience of the player. Um, so with Bastion, you know, we try to play with that also, and we try to like create this setup where, uh, hey, it's your story. You're kind of this blank slate character. It's it's your story unfolding as you play. Uh, but in order for that story to like mean something and to go somewhere, I I had to like make it personal in a way. I had to make it about something. Um, and I think it ends up feeling very personal to players, but it's very much like an you know it is an authored story. Uh, the content is all recorded, you know, it's not, it's not like a procedurally generated game. So, um, and, and I, and that was very satisfying to do. I, I liked working on a game with like a specific ending, um, not just a game that you kind of play forever and ever, uh, until you get bored, a game that could kind of end, uh, conclusively and with, uh, with something that left, uh, players, you know, it, it could it could get them thinking about the it, it would get them thinking about their own experience. I think so. I I think like the most the most kind of successful uh, game narratives are ones that sort of they do engage the player directly, even if they're authored. Like you take like a Bioshock or something, and you think about the themes of Bioshock, and you know the whole a man sure. chooses a slave obeys type of thing, and how that game calls into question your agency throughout the experience. Um, that is part of what gave uh, Bioshock its power, uh, I think, as a, as a narrative game. 
Yeah, I want something else to come along and sort Family of shake people that. up in the same way. To a degree. Sorry. What did? Stanley Parable? Yeah, Stanley Parable definitely. Yeah. I was just. Stanley Parable was a joke. <laughs> like, it was a game about video games. No, right. I, no, it was, it was I, was, I was just talking about uh, the Stanley Parable earlier today. Yeah, it's like if, if someone. If someone wanted to work on, like, a meta game with, like, kind of meta humor in it, like, throw in the towel, because Stanley Parable, like, <laughs> totally delivered, like, like I can't imagine, like, a better version of that type of yeah. idea. It was executed, the, the execution on it was really, really great. Um, it was yeah. really funny and smart. Yeah, when that came out, Paul played it a lot. Um, yeah, and I remember asking him, where does this direction of game go from here I, like is can, can yeah have we have we reached the end of <laughs> game about game already just one what what was your conclusion <laughs> I, I i think we both kind of went i, I yeah like my my thinking is like i think maybe you did i think it is like the beginning and the end of like i i don't know how you like like that's one of those games like completely you know I hope there's never I mean, a sequel because it's like worth. I think what you do is you wait for the medium to advance a little bit more, and then you can make that's, another that's one. That's right. Yeah, it, it's I mean, so it's, reflective it's of like sort of advances uh, from going from the Half Life mod to uh, the full game that's out now. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess uh, I, I have one more question about about Bastion, and then I want to move to Transistor because yeah. we're about halfway through. But uh, how how canon is the uh, is is that portal turret? What's what's the backstory? Oh, there? I mean, it's it. So that one is. It's in the game, right? It's got to be canon. It, it, it's it's only in the Steam version of the game specifically, so it's not in the the Xbox or the iOS versions of the game. Um, for example, uh, that yeah, that was something like that was really fun to work on. It, it happened like spontaneously as a as as kind of like an opportunity to do it because I um I happen to know. Uh, uh, Eric Wolpaw, who's the writer of Portal and por- one of the writers, I, I should say, of Portal and Portal Two, I, I I know him from way back when, and I, I I'm a huge fan of his work as well. Um, and uh, when we were bringing Bastion to Steam, uh, we just like thought about it as it could be a cool, kind of a fun Easter egg. We wanted to do it in a way that didn't that felt like it was part of Bastion and not just like a cheap like just like a cheap reference so we um yeah we were able to work with them pretty closely on it uh got like the actual like 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 the coolest part for me was that we got to record new voiceover for the turret so i actually got to write stuff that um ellen mclean the the voice actor for gladys and and the turrets she actually recorded stuff that you know was sort of blessed by Valve is like, yes, this is consistent with how the portal would talk if it were to appear suddenly and unexpectedly in the universe of Bastion. <laughs> so we were able to kind of justify it to ourselves because there's some, like, there's talk of, like, dimensional travel and whatever in, in Portal, right? There's, like, Mantis, yeah, Mantis. And if Mantis. there isn't, they can just say that. Yeah, exactly. So so basically, we part of it for us is, like, we had to justify it to ourselves as, as like, something that could theoretically exist uh, in right. this in the setting without without anyone thinking it was too strange, um, so yeah, Man. it was a fun it was a fun thing. But like the, you know it, but Bastion is not specifically part of the uh, the Portal universe or vice versa. So <laughs> Gordon Freeman's not going to be showing up in Bastion. <laughs> I guess the Bastion. Egg? I guess never say never. But 
We have no uh, immediate plans is, for such things. Is Bastion 2 Half-Life 3? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's, like, it's all Frog Fractions 2, the entire thing. <laughs> oh, that's took it from me. Uh, two, all right, yeah. so... I actually have so, one more question regarding Bastion. Yeah, okay, go for it. Um, uh, how is Rux actually part of the Dota universe? <laughs> so that's, <laughs> no, so that's a similar one, right? He's like a... He sounds like he could. I mean, man. So yeah, the 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 backstory to your question is we have a like we did a Dota two, we did a Bastion announcer pack for Dota two, uh, and it ended up being like a it was something we did like because we were just really into Dota two and we wanted to do it for fun. We were like it was after Bastion had come out, um, and it turned into a pretty big project. It, it was like they're close to like eight hundred lines of voiceover in the in the. Dota 2 announcer pack, and to put that in perspective, there's like, it's something like a fifth of the entire, it's like a pretty significant portion of the entire Bastion script on like a percentage basis. It was a big chunk of content for us. Um, But, you know, again, our whole thing was to like ground him in the universe, like what would he say if he was here? Um, So yeah, he's tech, I don't know, he's, maybe he is part of the Dota universe at this point, just... Like, because we see pro streamers, like, using the Bastion announcer pack and stuff like that. It's, like, it's actually really cool. Like, I don't know, th- this is weird, this is weird to explain, but I I don't think I ever sort of felt more, like, the, like the, the proudest I ever felt about Bastion was I was, like, watching, like, a Russian pro Dota team stream their game, and they were using the Bastion announcer pack. So it's just it wasn't even anything something someone said about Bastion specifically. It was the fact that like the pro Dota two community had accepted this announcer pack as like a core part of the game. What's that? Yeah, that's almost got me to play Dota. No, that's cool. Yeah, so it was weird. Um, it 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 turned into it was like it took on a life of its own. Um, which is which was really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, I think all my friends call it uh, Doter now because of that <laughs> yeah, thing. that's awesome. Play some Doter. Yeah, favorite line is Doter. uh, I don't know, kill him, kill him, kill him I don't even know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, we we had also like the the most fun part was like he says something about all the specific uh, heroes in the game, and there's some pretty fun. Rux has like a certain mode where he's just kind of a smartass. But he's not a smartass very much. He doesn't get to be that way through very much of Bastion because, it, it, like, most of the story is relatively serious. So it was fun to, like, just kind of do smartass mode rucks. And he's talking about anti-mage or something. He's like, I, I happen to be pro-mage or whatever. <laughs> so that kind of stuff you was You have to fun. keep updating that for the new we, heroes? We, we, have, we have updated it. Uh, we Yeah, so we did to a certain extent. Um, we do. We would like to... Yeah, we we'd be happy to maintain it. Actually, we haven't in a little while, but we've we have precedent for for updating it already. Speed. All right, so now now let's move to transistor. Yep. Um, so the first thing I want to ask is something something that you said a little earlier when you were talking about the way that you wanted to present the narrative in uh, Bastion without cutscenes or walls of yep. text, was, uh, just through the narration, and then. Uh, the way that you presented a lot of the narrative in Transistor was just through walls of text. So what what changed, I guess, for you between the two games? Um, I mean, it's it's a different game. Like the 
the by the walls of text, I, there there are terminals that you encounter in the world, and there's also the the kind of the character, the, the character backstory. backstory, the character profiles that you can access. Um, it like it was more of kind of a mixed media thing for tra- like I think for Transistor, we just above all, we just wanted it to be its own thing. We don't we didn't like the rules that we set for Bastion were not the same rules that we set for Transistor, and we have. We have nothing against text, <laughs> obviously, um, mm. and and it was meant to, uh, particularly with the terminals, it's like meant to feel like it's uh, in the world. So um, we try to balance that stuff, but yeah, we uh, we were not uh, obviously not opposed to putting text in the game. And the entire narrative mode of the game to us was very different from that of Bastion, even if I think to a lot of players it comes across as similar, but to us it was like. It was all in world, um, as opposed to in in uh, Bastion. It just feels like this kind of godlike omniscient narration, even though it's technically not. Um, yeah, so we made a lot of different decisions on on Transistor, not necessarily because we thought we didn't make the right decisions on Bastion, but purely uh, on the contrary, we just to be different. Yeah. We're just trying to make a different game. Yeah. Right. So. I guess you, you said that Bastion was the best experience making a game and you got you got everything into it and you don't know if you're going to repeat that, which implies that Transistor was not quite the same. Uh, it, 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 it's not, yeah, it's not quite the same by virtue of, like, like part of it is, is just that it, uh, yeah, so that's interesting that, that I, I think that it, I've said before that Bastion is the best uh, work experience I've ever had, but I've never actually said that uh, after Transistor came out. So it's interesting that you... Uh, caught me on that, as it were. Um, it's different. It's like, I think part of it for us was, it was like fundamentally different on Transistor because we were like already, we had already released, uh, it was our sophomore effort, right? Um, we, it was no longer, like, it It was never going to be like the the Cinderella story the way Bastion turned out. Because we were, yeah. by virtue of Bastion having existed and been successful, and uh, by virtue of our experience having worked together already once before, so there was no way that Transistor was going to be like the same. Um, and we knew that, and we didn't like want that. You you know, life goes on. That's like part of the whole point of Bastion, <laughs> part of the whole theme of it. Um, so. So uh, Transistor was uh, like a deeply rewarding experience in its own right. Um, it's just, it, it, you know, it, it's just different. And we, uh, I can, I can sort of get into all the, all the reasons why, but uh, you know, if you're like a baseball team and you win the world series for the first time, and then you like win the world series for a second time or something like that. Not that that that's obviously not us, but by way of analogy, I think like your your kind of first taste of that glory, I think is going to be really memorable to you. And with Bastion, we we just really you know things happened for us, and we got lucky, and people liked the game, and it was all I think it, we we killed ourselves, but it all turned out kind of magical. And on Transistor, it was more of a mode of like, can we make something worth a damn the second time? that lives up to our first game. We we weren't trying we knew that 
there was never sort of an ambition to make like a bigger, better game. I think that's like a real trap that a lot of dev- developers have fallen into in the past of always trying to just like outdo themselves. Our approach was just to try to make something that had its own identity um, and and sort of lived up to our lived up to our standards. Um, and and I feel that we that we achieved that, uh, but it was a different it was inherently a different undertaking. And in many ways, uh, I think the one thing I was naive about going into Transistor was that like our experience having worked together on Bastion would make our next game easier to make. It did not. Um, I think Bastion, uh, I think Transistor was every bit as challenging for us to make uh, as, as Bastion was in the first place. But, but I, at the same time, I feel very good about that because I, I really, truly believe that like if you're not if you're not sort of if you're not struggling then then you're not trying like i i i want to feel like i'm always at the edge of my ability to just even do my job competently um it's fun when everything comes very fluently and everything feels easy but i think the best work happens when when you're at least for me the best work happens out of out of some struggle so yeah so yeah, I, I was gonna say I, f- I feel like Transistor, amongst people I know who played it, was way more divisive than uh, than Bastion was. It's, I feel like everyone was just like, yeah, Bastion, it was great, but not not that they were saying Transistor isn't good, but people had a little more to say about. Well, I think that this worked really well, or I I, I don't think this worked really well. Um, I remember reading, I think it was Tom Chick did like yeah. a really good review like a good good from a critical perspective not not like a positive review but i like i thought it was one of the best reviews of a thing that i've read yeah Um, his review is the most is the most uh scathing review that one of the more scathing reviews of transistor that there was which which was a little heartbreaking for me i i love i love tom uh as a critic uh he i think he's one of the best critics and he loved bastion and that was like really it meant a lot to me. So the fact that he didn't, the transistor left him cold was like, the, there uh, w- was, you know, it was like, ah, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, I think, I think transistor was pushing an envelope a little harder than Bastion was. Bastion felt like it, it didn't feel, it felt like it was comfortable. Like they didn't, uh, transistor seemed like it was trying to blend two different styles of game. Uh, that I think turn, may have turned some people off, but it's an experiment that I was happy to see. Sure. For example, I don't know. I don't know if that's a read that you were you no, were going into. I with, mean, I think both for like, like, yeah, for sure. I mean, even with like with with Bastion, before we announced that game, we're like, mm-hmm. we we thought that the narration was going to be polarizing. We're like, some people are going to think this is awesome, and some people are going to think that this is really obnoxious. And, you know, we even shipped with things like a vol- like you could turn the narration off in that game, which we would never recommend. But we like left that as an out uh, for, for people. Really? You can? Yeah, you can. You can I, I didn't the, even the know voice, that. The voice vol- as you can in Transistor, by the way, you can turn the voice volume all the way down um, and then you won't hear the voice um, and skip all the terminals or whatever and just play it like an action game or strategy game. Like that's it's actually sort of back to your question of authorship. It's like. We don't. We actually don't care. Like, like, as long as people have a positive experience with our games, like, we don't care in what way the experience is positive. 
uh, we're totally fine with people like tuning the whole, like we're not precious about it. Like if people want to, like we want the game to be enjoyable on every level. So if, if people enjoy it purely for the gameplay, that's great. Or if people just like want to take in the story and not really struggle through, you know, not really have the most challenging experience, that's okay too. Or any, but, but at the same time, um, we're very much, we've never been about trying to like make a game that like appeals to everyone. We, we try to make specific games knowing that some of the like big sort of design decisions that we make about things like the narrative or, or whatever are probably going to turn a number of people off. Um, and that's, that's okay because we live in a world where even if you make a niche game, that niche these days can be enormous and we don't need our, for our games to sell millions of copies uh, to be successful. We're a small team. So we'd rather make uh, personal and specific games, um, you know, that find an audience, hopefully, uh, than just try to kind of think about what, like, millions of people all want because we can't, we can't really – we're not really – that's, like, less interesting to us in a way and also less uh, – I don't know. Yeah, I don't I mean, to be dismissive I mean, of it. Actually, it's just like it, we can't even really. I don't know what five million people want or whatever, but I know. No, I don't I think know, anybody does exactly. Uh, but I know, if you do, could you tell me? Because I, I would yeah, like to make can, that. Could you like create a formula or a book of some sort then sell that to AAA publishers around the world? Um, yeah. So um, so yeah, we we. Um, it's it, it was interesting because a lot of the. Uh, I think Transistor, even for people who uh, didn't necessarily like it as much, it came off as, as confident to them. And I, I think that that's cool um, that it's like a game that knows what it wants to be, even if it kind of leaves certain players behind. Um, but, you know, we didn't, uh, it, we, we didn't, we didn't want to make a game that, like we we want to make the kind of games that where players feel taken care of, and if they pay attention, that they can kind of follow along and and have a good experience. But you know, yeah. uh, everyone has a different experience in the end, and we uh, we didn't want it to be a kind of a condescending game. And um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that um, expects asks the player, I guess, to take a leap of faith, and not everyone uh, is uh, not everyone does that in the same way. Yeah, well, I, I know at least one person who was super into Transistor and played it probably a billion times, and she she uh, was like, man, I love it. It's got a female protagonist that I really like, and it's about an, uh, engineering jokes, and I'm an engineer, and this is the best thing ever. So you definitely hit it for, for at least one person. Oh, yeah, no, we hit it for many more than one person. I mean, the game is like, the game is, yeah, to be clear, the game has been a really big success for us. It's it's sure. it's sold Okay, good. It's sold faster than than Bastion over the, like, like Bastion's success was kind of crept up on us. It didn't, it wasn't like a grand slam or whatever. It just sort of kept going in an unexpected way, especially for like a relatively short game with no inherent replay value. Um, and Transistor is off to like a really good start. And as you know, you check the, you check the reviews on steam or whatever. Um, people love people, it. Yeah. People love it. It's just like, the big difference is they a lot of people went in with uh, a lot of expectations this time, which we didn't have on Bastion. 
All right. Well, I would, I would, I think we'd love to continue talking about this with you, but our, our time is, is almost ah. up here. So, uh, yeah, two hours goes by real yes. fast, doesn't it? <laughs> I can blabber on about this stuff forever. <laughs> so, well, we'll, we'll have to have you back, but, uh, I think uh, it, it might be time to tell our listeners how they can they can mm, I'd like find to, our stuff and find. I'd, oh, you want to ask? Something? I'd like to yeah. bring attention to something that I. Thought cool. Go was for really it. Go for it. We got we got a couple minutes. So uh, as far as the uh, the authorship thing goes, uh, my personal <laughs> approach to every game that I play is more like a, a me versus developer. Yeah. I like to I like to poke around and see if I can think of things that uh, yeah the developer didn't. And uh, one one specific example of this is uh, the overkill messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, this is this is fantastic. Uh, so when you uh, when you in the game when you deal more damage to something than it takes to kill that thing, it pops up a message that says uh, overkill. And if you deal way more damage, it says overkill with an exclamation mark. And if you deal ridiculous amounts of damage, it adds a bunch of exclamation marks. And if you uh, if you bring this to an extreme, uh, at least the furthest I managed to get was negative uh, 750. The message is, do you even read? <laughs> yeah. It goes further than that. Eventually, oh, it, eventually the, 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 it just says you are mean, and that's all it ever ah. says. If you keep going after do you even read, it's just kind of like re- throwing its, its virtual hands up in resignation. Um, but yeah, that, so that's like the – that's the best part of like the whole thing of just, I love that style of play too. I think it like feels deviant and subversive and I want to work on games where like players can feel that way and like feel awesome about it. Um, I don't know that that really comes across that much. Like, like I love that you brought up that specific example, but we don't make these like weird, like, I think you could get that a lot in really like open-ended games and our games have been more linear and, you know, not super free form, but in Bas- in transistor, we did, we did try to make a more open game in terms of how you could play it um, with all these like different function combinations and so on. Like we were okay with people finding like crazy, you know, seemingly game breaking things. And that was even like part of the, part of the fiction for us and like having this kind of, text UI voice that could say things like, do you even read, uh, was like part of the fun for us, uh, for sure. So I'm, I'm glad that came across. Yeah. Uh, I, I think those, those little small details make, make, I, I love that stuff in games too. So I, I just want to fill our, our games with stuff like that as much as possible. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Super giant games definitely has, uh, my trust moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah. yeah, I hope whatever we come up with next will um, will live up. We we is that yeah. that's not a thing you're allowed to talk about yet. Though, I imagine. No, yeah, I mean it's yeah. We 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 never. It takes us a while, like uh, just to just to come up with something coherent. And I think like the the kind of atmosphere of our games is important to us. So we don't. For us, it's really valuable to be able to work in kind of without the spotlight we're, we're lucky to i think about like kickstarters and stuff and there's been some really fantastic games that have come out of that but i i'm we we work kind of in an opposite mode where the spotlight isn't sort of shining on us the entire time and it allows us to kind of fail in in silence for a while and and just kind of iterate and get at something you know 
because we don't know what we, we don't start with a big design document or whatever. We don't know what we're going to make until we make it really. Um, so it takes us a while to kind of find the tone and figure out what the play experience is like and so on. And then we like to show it at a point where it's already kind of playable um, and just can speak for itself uh, literally in some cases. Um, so, so yeah, it'll probably be a while and I, I but uh, I hope we, I, I, I hope and expect that we will continue to kind of push ourselves and try to come up with uh, I, I, yeah, I look forward to finding out what we do next because you're, you're in, in a lot of ways, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Cause yeah, I mean, you already told us, right? Jim Crawford hired you for Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's so. right. <laughs> and uh, we're putting Gordon Freeman, yeah, and Sebastian too, also. Which is Friday. Yes, practice, which the, correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes the narration a lot easier when when the game stars Gordon Freeman. Yeah, Just don't write anything, and yeah, voiced by Morgan Freeman. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say <laughs> Logan Cunningham is Gordon Freeman, but he doesn't ever say anything. Yeah, exactly. Logan Cunningham as Gordon Freeman in Half Life Three. So, yep. All right. So okay. Now now let's tell our uh, tell our listeners, uh, Greg, if they wanted to find your stuff on the internet, how would what would be the best place for them to do that? What do you have uh, a website yeah. that they should go we, to, or yeah, uh, we got a Twitter box. We we have we have both. Uh, as as you you may be surprised to learn that we have both. Uh, so we're yeah we're supergiantgames on dot com on the internet and just super giant games on Twitter. And I am just my last name, Kasavin on, on Twitter. I, I run our, our Twitter feed at Supergiant, So you can reach me either way, but uh, yeah, we're the cool thing about being small is like we, we like respond ever, you know, read, if not respond to every email we get and stuff. So it, we're easy to get a hold of. And uh, we love talking to people about this kind of whenever people have, feedback on our games of any kind it's it's just like that's the whole point to us is to be able to engage with people about it and see what they thought cool uh gord do we have a a, a web site or a twitter box we've got a couple we've got redpagespodcast.com the redpagespodcast at gmail.com reddit.com slash r slash redpagespodcast uh that still exist yep <laughs> in in a sense Ah, we've got, uh, what else do we have? Paul, what else do uh, we have? Facebook.com. Oh, yeah. Slash Red Pages Podcast we've got. I think that's everything. If it's not, I'm sure that it's on the website. Um, who is our guest next time? You're asking me? Wow. I, I was I was putting it out generally, but the, the silence <laughs> I, is I actually deafening. don't know. Okay. I'll tell you who our guest is next time. Our next, uh, it's actually not next week uh it is actually is it next week geez i can't even keep track of what week it is anymore this is bad um our next guest is michael lutz uh it is next week he is the creator of a twine game that we talked about last week gord when you weren't here called the uncle who works for nintendo ah ooh, is that back up I was just, I was just playing. yes it is back up excellent what was, what was that? i was just playing that the other day it's good Yep, he, uh, he, he, it is backup, uh, Jay is Games offered to host it for him. So, you can now, uh, you can now play it again. It was down for about a day when, uh, his, his hosting, his, his, like, small, t- several megabytes per month hosting that he was buying for Amazon got hammered by, uh, Kotaku and Polygon when they featured it and slapped him with his, like, $600-something bill from Amazon. 
So, uh, all right. I guess that's it. Uh, there is one more question. I'm gonna... The most important question. Oh, right. How could we forget? Greg, what is your favorite type of cheese? Oh, man. Uh, wow. Thank you for reminding me, Gord. <laughs> I'm so so closely trying to stick to the time. I forgot about the most important yeah. question. Yeah. I have, like, a... This is, like, a bad answer. I'm gonna, like, go with freaking mozzarella, I guess. Because I, 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 like, trick myself into thinking that it's, like, healthy when I eat mozzarella. <laughs> it's probably not, but it's you have it on, like, a tomato or something in place of a salad. Like, oh, I'm eating fancy cheese, but it's still cheese. And I don't... I have a lot of guilt around food. I mentioned I was from Russia originally. So <laughs> there's a... Yeah, cheese is very tasty but i don't feel have we had a mozzarella yet i don't think we have yeah that is Is there a what's the most what is the most common is there a common answer any pattern no no that's the thing (laughs) there is one common answer like oh yeah i I think we've had one repeat and i think it was three but across i think you're you're we're getting up towards like uh towards almost 30 30 of them yeah i'm not i'm not like fancy when it comes to cheese either i whatever there's like also Say, also, I, I almost forgot to mention, but this episode is our one-year anniversary oh, wow. of this podcast. Oh, cool. Congratulations. Uh, this week. So, uh, episode, what, 35, I think I said it was, um, means that we recorded, uh, oh, what, what, it's 52 weeks in a year, so we missed 20 weeks because we took, what, December, January off. But uh, good good job, guys. We, we, we did, did it. it. Nice. We're one years old. We did it, Reddit. All right, I'm gonna say goodbye to uh, all the listeners. It's it's getting late, and uh, we've we've got a we've got a sleeps to go and many miles before we can sleep. Um, so what, what, what we're really going to do is uh, we're going to uh, uh, play a seated race of Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Oh, maybe you are. <laughs> uh, I'm going to sleep, oh. probably. So so from all of us here at the Red Pages podcast, uh, keep on. Who's looking at you, Cincinnati? I'm gonna make keep look at I'm gonna I'm gonna make keep on Trucklestein a thing if I say it at the end of every episode. Eventually it'll become a tradition. Perhaps not.